0: Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. When most of us run into obstacles with how we think and approach the world, whether in terms of dealing with mental health issues like depression and anxiety, or simply making progress with our relationships and work, we typically try to focus in on solving the perceived problem or run away from it. In either case, instead of feeling better, we often feel more stuck. My guest today says we need to free ourselves from these instincts and our default mental programming and learn to just sit with our thoughts and even turn towards those which hurt us the most. His name is Stephen Hayes. He's a professor of psychology, and the founder of ACT. It's ACT, Acceptance, and Commitment Therapy. He's also the author of over 40 books, including his latest, The Liberated Mind, How to Pivot Toward What Matters. Steve and I spend the first part of our conversation in a very interesting discussion as to why traditional interventions for depression and anxiety, it's drugs and talk therapy, aren't very effective in helping people get their minds right and how ACT takes a different approach to achieving mental health. We then discussed the six skills of psychological flexibility that undergird ACT and how these skills can not only be used by those dealing with depression and anxiety, but by anyone who wants to get out of their own way and show up and move forward in every area of their life. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awmis slash liberatedmind. Stephen joins you now via clearcast.io. All right, Stephen Hayes, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So you are the originator of acceptance and commitment therapy, an author of the book, A Liberated Mind, How to Pivot Towards What Matters. And acceptance and commitment therapy is a way that people, that you people can use to manage what we call mental illness, depression, anxiety, but also can be used for performance enhancement and other various aspects of their life. And before we dig into acceptance and commitment therapy, I think it'd be useful to do sort of a short history of how we've gone about managing and treating depression and anxiety in the West, because I think that'll show how act is different. ACD is different. So in your book, you talk about broadly in the West, there's been two major ways we've gone about treating depression, anxiety. One is with pharmaceuticals or drugs and the other is with talk therapy and people are probably familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy or psychoanalysis. So let's talk about pharmaceuticals first. When a doctor or psychiatrist prescribes a drug to help someone manage their anxiety or depression, What's the underlying assumption about what is the cause of that mental illness, so that the drug can work? Well, really, we've gone through about
1: forty years of the sort of biomedicalizing human suffering, and the idea was that if we defined these things, to, you know, signs and symptoms, we'd find the underlying disease, and the presumption was it had something to do with the genes and gene systems and brain circuits, and that you could probably move them around by. Specific drugs that would move specific problems. Instead, what's happened over time is that the medications are more and more general. There's almost nothing out there that people suffer with that you can't use. Uh, so-called antidepressants, for example, SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. It's a way of moving around how your body handles serotonin. And there's other ones, uh, you know, different neurotransmitters. They've got more and more general use for more and more things, and they have side effects. They have your body immediately starts reacting to it, and there's no real evidence. It's just not there. After I mean, don't take it from me. Take it from the folks who've organized the psychiatric diagnostic system, the DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. When they did the latest version, they had a little uh, kind of a work group, and they concluded there was no evidence of any specific biological problem that was targeted by these drugs that were there before the intervention. And so it's we've kind of got into a weird space where like one out of four women last year were on antidepressants, and uh, that just doesn't make any sense at all. 60% of the people who are struggling with anxiety, depression, or other things are on only medications, less than 10% on only psychosocial interventions, which is upside down. And so the original hope was that we'd get better and better at detecting the underlying disease. In fact, there's not a single case of an underlying disease being discovered since uh, untreated syphilis was the last one. Nobody has that anymore. He just treated with antibiotics. So um, I'm not against medications. I've actually done research helping people get over barriers to using it, but it should be more limited to severe cases and more limited in terms of how long you're on them and instead we're we've created this thing where many people are on high level of meds for a long period of time your body reacts to it and produces even permanent changes in your body you probably see on the television you can now get the medications uh, being sold on regular commercial television to control the side effects of the medications that are being sold to control the behavioral health problems so everywhere in the world where that model has come in a train rack has followed. If you take developing countries and you put that model in, everything gets worse. And in the United States, we're more than a standard deviation in a statistical measure from how things are normally distributed over the last thirty years worse with young people than we were. And
0: so something's going in the wrong direction. So it sounds like so I mean it sounds like the underlying what the assumption is, is that anxiety depression, it's a physiological yep. issue that you can manipulate with a drug. Yeah, and you can for sure dampen down your your system
1: for detecting anxiety and feeling anxious, for example. And you can mess around with major neurotransmitters that have multiple functions and have some effects in terms of the lows, but also the highs, by the way. If you wanted to do it, you could market antidepressants as anti-joy drugs because they bring the top down too, not just the bottom up. And we've gone through, you know, it, it makes sense, but it superficially it makes sense but long run i'm not sure it does make sense it must it should be more limited because some of these emotions are signs of things that are going on in your life and you need to step up to that i mean if you're feeling anxious all the time what's up with that and yeah there is a genetic loading but what you then do with that is really what determines how it's going to play out in your life and i think the evidence on that is pretty substantial
0: Okay. So pharmaceuticals, uh, the research, I mean, we've been doing this since the 40s, 50s. Yep. Uh, research says it's effective for some people. It sounds like for severe anxiety, depression, it can be useful, but for most people, not, not that effective. And for, and for a more limited period of time, because
1: here's what happens. As soon as you say you have something and you listen to the commercials, they say it may be based on an underlying neurological problem. Well, it may be based on monkeys flying out of your ear. You can say that and you can sell it that way, but they can't say it is based because there's no evidence on that. People who get depressed don't have differences in their underlying level of serotonin before you give them the drug. After you give them the drug for long periods of time, high levels than they do because your body down-regulates it. It fights it off, and now there's a very long-lasting effect of not responding normally to that neurotransmitters. But for normal people, once you start saying you have something and it's built into your body, of course you're going to turn to meds, but you're also going to bring your horizon close. You're going to aspire less. It looked like destigmatizing, but it ends up being kind of walking you into a cul-de-sac people around you start treating you differently the research on all that is really clear so you're setting something loose inside the minds of people that are not necessarily empowering to step up move forward what can you actually do but why don't we focus on that first and uh use the meds absolutely but more limited taper them off keep them shorter and use a rationale that empowers people to change their lives not just sort of uh hammer down their
0: physiology. Well, so the other approach to treating anxiety, depression has been talk therapy, and the grandfather of talk therapy was Sigmund Freud. Yeah. What was his approach to talk therapy, and and what does the research say? Does it does that work? There's elements of
1: it that work, but you know, one of the problems that happened because we're going back hundred years, and the, you know, Freud didn't really have scientific principles of behavior, psychology, and so forth to rely on, so he had kind of a pseudo. A neurology me- metaphor he was interested in function what's going on underneath the surface and that's good but he wasn't guided by uh, experimental science because it wasn't there and so some of the ideas are truly goofy you know that you really have a secret desire to have sex with your mother and that's really producing a conflict oh please you know and so parts of it like defense mechanisms, you know, that you'll, for example, sometimes put on others, things that you see in yourself that are painful and difficult, projection, that's real. But it wasn't linked to science well enough to move forward. And soon enough, there's a rebellion against it, mostly by the humanistic folks who thought, you know, we should be a little more practical, focus on meaning, purpose. That's what I cut my eye teeth on, and I still kind of like that. But again, without good, clear science on what do we mean by meaning and purpose and all the rest. So it wasn't until the behavioral folks came along with scientific principles out of the animal lab that we got out of that era. But then they had problems too. But um, talk therapy... uh, you know it's been on an arc uh, in the culture we've been learning how to do it and i think we're able to do it better i kind of like calling it do therapy not talk therapy because i w- i only want to talk enough to get people to do something different if it's just blah 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 you know uh, i'm not sure that's going to really change uh, anybody's life
0: well and, i mean so i think one of the things with freudianism psychoanalysis like the, their goal is like if you can figure out what's causing the underlying issue then somehow the issue is going to resolve itself, right? If you can figure out, oh, if you had something that happened in your past and you bring that to surface, then somehow that's going to be able to allow you to move forward. And as you said, the humanistic and then the behavioralist and then later cognitive behavioral therapy said, well, maybe not. Maybe we need to instead try to figure out how to help people in the moment so they can move forward instead of just looking back.
1: Yeah, going off... If- you know, we are historical beings, so our childhood does influence us for absolute certain, sure. But it's the past that's in the present that we really need to focus on, and the past that's dead and gone, not so much. And without really good scientific principles to sort through that, you know, psychoanalysis was pretty darn wild, is how you would kind of look at your own uh, history. I think the more practical focus of the humanistic and behavioral and cognitive behavioral wing of what shows up here and now pretty much has won the day just in terms of evidence for doing good with people. But then when you do that, you still need principles. You need a way to figure out what's really going on here. And, you know, science has an arc to it you know, at one time, you know, physicists were talking about phlogiston. They don't talk about it anymore. Psychologists still are talking about Freud and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because we've, we've moved so far, so much more knowledge about how psychology works, how our, you know, biopsychosocial processes, you know, the things going on in your mind, the things going on in your culture, the things going on in your body come together to either produce problems or promote your
0: prosperity. So that's, Use that best available evidence. So, okay, at the most recent iteration that the most widely used form of talk therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. And this is, you know, you got your start when you started working with patients. You used CBT. So, let's talk about like what CBT does, um, and then I think that'd be a good way to a springboard to talk about ACT. Yeah, it's a good it's a good way. CBT
1: came out of the behavior therapy tradition, where we were trying to apply the principles that came out of the animal learning lab like reward and punishment, for example, or classical conditioning, like Pavlov's dogs. And good things happen there. But the thing is, is that what you and I are doing and non-human animals don't do. They communicate, but they don't talk symbolically. And so that we call mental health problems for a reason. I mean, our chatter, our minds, our analysis, problem solving, symbols, reasoning, thinking has a huge effect on our lives. And that's pretty new on the planet. You need principles for it. When the and I'm old enough to see this whole arc because I was a behavior therapist before I was a cognitive behavior therapist, and I've been president of the CBT Society here in the U.S., etc. So uh, this is my my family. But when people realize the limits of just conditioning principles out of the animal lab. They needed to go into like, what are you and I doing right now? And how does that change how we interact with the world? How does cognition alter how we interact with the current situation and our own history? But again, we didn't have good principles. And so the, but these are good scientists. And so they started trying to figure out kind of on the fly what a theory, good theory of cognition might be. And so rational and irrational cognitions, logical errors, those kinds of things that are out there now in the culture, those emerged by just talking to clients and trying to measure carefully how they thought and then categorize them into ways of thinking that were helpful or hurtful. And what CBT tries to do, in addition to using behavioral things such as exposure, training and skills, conditioning that we're going to go in there and try to detect and challenge and dispute and change ways of thinking that are
0: illogical or maladaptive. And some examples of like maladaptive thinking would be like black or white thinking, all or nothing thinking, sure, catastrophizing. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm never going to be able to
1: function again because my blah, 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 my girlfriend grew, broke up with me or I was fired from this job or, well, that's not how life actually unfolds. You're gonna probably figure out some other way forward, but your mind catastrophize and give you an absolute all or none, black and white, horrifying kind of image if if you're prone to that way of thinking. The problem with it is doing what's logical thought doesn't mean that we're doing what's actually helpful. So, for example, if you have an odd thought that came from your family of origin, let's say you're very self critical of yourself, but when you really slow down and listen to it, eh, that's mom's voice. And so you came by it honestly. Yeah, but you'll go to grave with that memory. You'll probably, it's a well grooved track. You're going to be able to think those kind of negative thoughts. If I'm asking you to detect challenge, dispute, and change, it's going to, thoughts that I'm first going to say focus on the thought well, these are goofy thoughts already. Maybe that's the last place you want to focus. Maybe you want to focus on your purpose, on what you could actually do with behavior to do a better job of succeeding, etc. So what's happened in CBT over time is that the core assumptions of the cognitive change methods that are inside classic CBT have been weakened because the, the data don't suggest that they're the critical part of those collections. And so along comes people like myself and the ACT work, acceptance and commitment therapy work with a really different uh, perspective than that classic idea that we have to catch our bad thoughts and get rid of them. Mm. Maybe not. Maybe we need to relate to them in a very different way.
0: So that, that's the big, like from a big picture point of view, that what's, that's what makes ACT different from CBT. CBT is you're, you're focused on those negative thoughts so you can challenge them. And then you know by challenging them, you know, you'll, you'll overcome them. ACT says, no, actually that might actually make things worse. And you just need to learn how to accept and, and move on and like live, live more uh, forward looking type of life.
1: Yeah. And it, you know, Except, but also sort of change their function. It, how you relate to your own experience is what really determines how it plays out in your life. You know, a lot of this stuff is conditioned. If I said Mary had a little, and you grew up in this society, you know, there's only one thing you're going to think. If I demanded that you think differently, suppose lamb was a horrible word. You could do it, but what you would actually do is say you thought a uh, cup, you know, Mary had a little cup, not a lamb. Well, you're right back to lamb again because it's it's kind of like a bad uh, cell phone commercial. Am I there yet? Am I there yet? Every time you ask it, you're coming right back and regrooving a connection to parts of the things that you want to change. And what happened in the the work that I did. You know, when I realized the because of my own personal struggles initially and then my clients, the limits of behavior therapy and cognitive behavior therapy as it was back in the eighties. I spent about fifteen years essentially trying to hack the human mind.
0: We're gonna take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the Masterclass on Negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. And what you discovered through many years of research that there are six processes or skills that lead to greater cognitive, emotional, and attentional flexibility. And the first one is noticing your thoughts. And what gets in the way of that process is something you called the dictator within. Who is this dictator and what does he sound like?
1: Well, it sounds like what you're, uh, what goes on in your mind when you're quiet and you've just had an argument with your spouse or your girlfriend or something, you know, it, or when you're thinking about, uh, you know, some great plan you're going to have or whether or not you're going to succeed at something. It's that voice that tells you what to do, how to solve the problem. And by the way, who you are and what's wrong with you, uh, you know, and it's the problem solving voice the figure out. The problem, but, it, but and that's great in the external world. Figure out how to do your taxes, fix your car—it's great. Figure out how to have peace of mind or purpose—not so great. Figure out who you are, what you really care about—not so great. Uh, because this, you are not a problem to be solved. There, I mean, there's vastly more to you than just that one part of you. Number one, number two, as soon as you're in that mindset whole great portions of you are your own enemy because you've got lots of things that you don't like about yourself. You always will. If you make that pros and cons list and strengths and weaknesses list, that's going to show up. But the question is, what can you do from here to move in a direction that you really care about? And sometimes that requires first getting your feet on the ground kind of more the way you would uh, if you saw a sunset tonight. You wouldn't try to solve the problem of the fact that it was a particular color you just say wow you probably wouldn't say "Got a little bit too much pink over there it just wouldn't occur to you well when you come into your own life you want to have that kind of wow appreciation of the wholeness of your life and then what, what can i do to move forward okay i want some problem solving language in there but the dictator within has been so fed by modern media and by the just the way that we uh, are told to try to deal with our problems that you know we get entangled with it we disappear into it sometimes for months years at a time and meanwhile you, you know eventually you get to the point where you need like mindfulness classes just to show up in the present moment you're so used to disappearing off into what a should i could is or i should have you know rumination worry etc and so we need to learn how to rein in the human mind and not have it just run us around like a, a leash, uh, you know, throw a ring in our nose. And uh, if you don't, you're going to suffer a lot because there's a lot of programming in your head that is not wise. You know it's not wise, and yet you can't uh, uh, resist just almost immediately reacting to it when it shows up. and. Next thing you know, you're arguing when you don't want to, you're defending when you don't need to, you're forgetting when you need to remember you've lost direction and purpose. Getting your feet on the ground, showing up, being more mindful, notice what's going on requires a different mode of mind than that dictator voice.
0: And so examples of the dictator voice is like if you're feeling down, it's like be positive, don't be negative. Uh, if you're feeling anxious, like the dictator is saying, there's nothing really here for you to be afraid of you're 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 exactly. that that's 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 probably what it sounds like
1: yeah you know and the thing is, is that superficially soothing it might even be a little helpful in the moment sometimes if you have something really to do but you get into a chronic mode like that and next thing you know the side effects of that and the dumbing down of that for example let's just be positive let's just be positive you've probably been around people who are just relentless in that and frankly sometimes uh, it's irritating you know if the bad, th- bad things are going on you know you, or you Reactions are having that you really need to read. You need to notice that you feel uncomfortable right now. You're feeling anxious right now. Well, you know, maybe that person you're about to date is not for you. Or maybe that job you're about to take is not really what your gut tells you to do. You can close off your access to the whole of your history by just putting these kind of meta rules down. Like, I'm only going to think positive thoughts. Well, that's nonsense. I mean, negative thoughts have a role. Getting entangled with them, disappearing into them, okay. But, you know, you can get entangled and disappear into positive thoughts. Have you ever been around a narcissist? you ever been around somebody who thinks they're the greatest of the great and the grandest of the grand no matter what happens? Do you enjoy that experience? Now, of course, you don't want to be around folks who are going to go, oh, woe is me, I'm, so, I'm polypathetic, you know, help me, help me. No, you don't want to be around that either. But both of them are the same deal of us disappearing into our minds and not showing up as the whole persons that we are. And learning how to do that is something that we've, some of that's in our spiritual and wisdom traditions, but it's now in our psychotherapy traditions. And some of the methods, some of the methods we've invented, you know, you, you can see the benefit in 30 seconds. You can do things that you can put onto the factory floor or into a business meeting or into your workout. That's why it doesn't just go to anxiety and depression. These processes are central to leadership, running a business, doing this podcast. They're central to everything. And um, so take advantage of your pain and struggle to learn skills that you can use across the range of things that challenge you in life. That's a lot wiser way forward. And that's, I think, where all of the evidence-based therapies are trying to go, at least the newer ones uh, that uh, act as sort of had a leadership
0: role in creating. So the first skill of psychological flexibility is to notice your thoughts, just witness them, observe them, just be curious about them, instead of trying to fix and change them, which get you even more tangled up in them. And another part of this, another skill of cognitive flexibility is opening to your emotions, which can mean instead of trying to escape from painful feelings and the hurts you've had in the past, sometimes you just need to turn towards them.
1: You can't run away from your doubts, your difficult memories, past betrayals. Good luck doing that. I mean, you can maybe, the old joke is, you know, uh, sort of a bottle in front of me or frontal, frontal lobotomy neither of which are good, uh, you know, So brain injury or or being drunk, you know, maybe you could get away with that, but then you can't get away, you know, then that has a cost. So grow up, you got to figure out a way to show up to your history as it is, not as what your mind says it is, and do something healthy with it other than run away, run away, run away, which makes it more central and in and a way more perverse in its impact because you get stupider, not smarter. You you stop being able to read what's going on. There's really good evidence of this. People who are suppressive of emotions and thoughts create self-stupidity. They make bad choices. They put themselves in dangerous situations. Why? Well, it would be just like what would happen if I eliminated the feeling in your fingers what's going to happen to your hands? Well, there's lots of things feeling in your fingers are useful for. Yeah. Okay. If you're putting your hands on sandpaper, that might feel painful, but you know, lepers lose the feeling in their hands and they do things like accidentally put their fingers in, in the fire. And that's the metaphorically what goes on when we, when we uh, create stupidity in order to avoid pain, better to show up to the pain and learn how to inhale it get with it and then refocus it and find you'll find is inside some of these self-doubts painful memories are the seeds of what you really care about in part that's why you care about it if you think back over the things that are really important in your life like the big lessons the big ones i bet you there's really painful ones on that list so don't take advantage. you know, just don't, the, the siren song of uh, less pain is, is, is always better. It's just not true. We learn from our mistakes and we learn from our painful uh, times. So we got to keep our feelers
0: out. Okay. So act, you're not trying to quiet or silence those no. negative feelings. In, instead, you're trying, you're, you're just, you're trying to relate to them differently. Yeah. And and so let's talk about some principles that you found in your research and your work that allow people to do that. Yeah. So relating to them differently,
1: turns out there's lots of ways of doing, doing that. And it, it's not to diminish, it's not to eliminate, it's to put how central it is in your behavior under your control so that let's say you have a, a thought that is painful but and self-critical but it doesn't have much utility in the moment let me give you an example i was, I was given a talk at stanford and i was talking about how much sleeping medications had gone up and it had gone up over a few years three billion dollars and i you know, in a talk at Stanford, you don't want to do this. I said, and it's gone up $3 trillion. Well, I didn't catch it at the time, but I'm sleeping. Suddenly, I sit bolt upright in my bed from a dead sleep, and I realize how idiotic that is. That's off by a thousand times. And I say out loud, $3 trillion? You idiot. You idiot. You did it at Stanford. They were recording the talk. So I'm into that, right? Well, a I want to sleep, you know, I don't really want to sit here and convince myself what an idiot I am. B, the talk is already done, I'm not going back and redoing it, right? Well, I catch this, and I use a classic act meta uh, method, which is to take a, a dominant thought that's not helpful to you, distill it down to a word, and uh, repeat it out loud at least once per second, fast, out loud for 30 seconds. We've done the research on all the parameters, 30 seconds is a sweet spot, at least once per second. All this stuff has been researched in a lab. That's how geeky we are. So I sit there on the edge of my, edge of my bed uh, down there in Palo Alto, and I say, idiot, 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 for 30 seconds. And then I go back to sleep. You know, if you just try that, take something that really just pounds you. You know, I'm unlovable, you know, I'm stupid, whatever. Something that, the kind of thing that wakes you up at two in the morning, that, you know, sticky, probably old, just try it. It could only take 30 seconds. Do it when nobody's watching, you know, they probably don't want to do it in front of anybody to think you're pretty loony-toony. But to distill it down to words, say it out loud fast for 30 seconds, just watch what happens. By the end of that time, the word's losing its meaning. You're noticing that you're thinking. Your jaw's getting tired. You realize at one level, I'm just talking. You can hear the sound of the word. It sounds differently. And the distress produced by the word goes down very substantially. It's all been researched. There's probably a 100 studies on that now. We were the first to do it. It was invented by a guy named Titcher, who was the father of American psychology. He wrote about it in 1907. We were the first to ever use it clinically. We call this method this diffusion which is a made up word that means fusion means to pour together like lemonade three things but it tastes like one thing you don't really taste the sugar separate from the lime the lemons separate from the water you well we if you 30 seconds of it you'll defuse a thought it's kind of like pulling it at its joints and then the next time you have that thought you'll have a little bit of a sense of mm, I could just notice it notice that I had that thought I'm stupid Okay, thank you, mind, very much for that thought. I got some work to do, though. Uh, uh, thanks for trying to help me out, but so, and there I'm into another diffusion method. Method. Thank your mind. Give your mind a name. Thanks, George. Trying to help me here, but frankly, uh, I've got that covered. It's not to diss your mind. It's not like you're trying to just turn off your mind. You're just trying to do what you would normally do if you had kids in the back seat of the car quarreling you'd know how to turn it off mentally you can do the same thing not in a way that's avoidant but in a way that's okay i've listened i've taken it what's useful here i'm going to leave the rest and change your relationship to your thoughts feelings memories and bodily sensations put it under your conscious control that way you can allocate attention to what's important you don't have to waste attention on what's not, but you're still have a channel open. You're not suppressing your open. and uh, diffusion will help you learn how to do that.
0: And it sounds like the goal of diffusion is to help people be more cognitively flexible. Like instead of, exactly, instead of trying to put order and trying to quelch everything, you're just like, okay, that's, I've got that thing, but I, I can do, I can still act in a way I want to act, even though that emotion or feeling or thought is there. Yeah, you can bring it along with you. In fact, right inside the, oh, you stupid
1: idiot, is I do want to do well. Okay, well, let's use my mind to focus on how to do well and groove things, etc. Right, What's right inside that anxiety about an upcoming date, let's say, is I do want to have relationships that work. Okay, well, let's focus on that. And your feelings are not your enemy. They're an echo of your history and what's showing up in the present moment your thoughts your memories have a role have a place but they're not your boss they're not you don't turn your life over to them they're part of you they're in you and with you and part of you and you're bigger than all of that so can you create room for your whole history allow it to inform what you do but don't let it dictate to you what to do. And if you learn these kind of cognitive and emotional and attentional flexibility skills, well, then you can have a history that has painful things in it. We've all got that, but you don't have to get stuck on it, wrapped around it. It's not like a, you know, cord wrapped around an axle. It's knotted up. You know, you can't, you know, you can't proceed until you, you know, untie the knot. We can untie this knot by relating to our minds and our, Emotions and our history in a different way
0: that's more flexible. So, the fourth act skill is learning to see the perspective of others. And the other skills can lead to it because as you get better in touch with your own sense of self, you can get better in touch with other people.
1: There's a part of you that will connect you to others. I'm here, you're here, we're here. There's a we inside this me of awareness. So, that's what's in the wisdom traditions, the spiritual traditions, the mindfulness traditions, and that's why meditation is everywhere. You can hardly open a magazine without seeing meditation as a word, and people are learning in the cacophony of Western culture. We better find a way to put our feet on the ground and show up in consciousness and connect in consciousness to others, so that diffusing from the self story is step one. Catching that there's this awareness part of you that, from which. You can have difficult emotions and carry them without domination, difficult thoughts, from which you can allocate attention flexibly. So the act work consists of backing out of the conceptualized self, the ego, if you want to use that word, and showing up to this more transcending observer, witnessing, person-behind-your-eyes sense of self, not alone and disconnected, but connected in consciousness to others and from there a lot of things are possible and there's a reason why you dumped endorphins when your mama looked in your eyes there's a reason why you have whites around your eyes so that you can see from across the room where others are looking we're very in touch with the consciousness of others and from there we can do wonderful things in our communities and businesses and teams and You know, we're we're not solitary creatures. We're connected through language and consciousness and our underlying biology to the troop, the tribe, the band, the community, and um, that's the place we we can do spectacularly great things.
0: And I think it's important for people that we reiterate this point. because I think when people hear, oh, it's acceptance therapy, it just means I just I'm resigning myself to my current situation. That's not what you're talking about. Acceptance. Acceptance just basically accepting reality as it is, accepting those emotions that you have and and not having to like judge it right away. It's, yeah, it's a dangerous word, acceptance, and sometimes I think
1: it made a great acronym, acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT. I mean, how can you get better than that? As I say, if you really want to do, do therapy instead of talk therapy, ACT is perfect. Let's get about acting. But the word acceptance, it's true, has some connotations that aren't helpful. It's still in English, though, what we meant by it. If you had a precious gift, a really precious one, and you gave it to somebody that you love, I bet you you might say, here, would you accept this? You don't mean will you tolerate it can you resign yourself to it will you put up with it you mean will you take this gift that i'm offering you and take it willingly by choice okay so what your what your capacity for emotion and thought and memory and bodily sensations that's a tremendous gift and life is offering you a gift, a precious gift. Yeah, I know your mind doesn't like it, but let's take something like, okay, I'll give up, take one. If you were to Google my name for a TED talk, you'll find I've done a couple. And one of them, I walk through the act work and my turning away from the dictator within on, on a night on the carpet when I think I'm having a heart attack. And it turns out I'm having another panic attack all the way back in 1981, almost 40 years ago. And I tell the story of, you know, catching, you know, that uh, meaning and purpose is in there too. That right inside my anxiety and so forth, I caught was the memory of my dad threatening violence to my mother and coming home drunk. By the way, a loving, wonderful person. Don't judge him. Just, you know, he had problems and so did my mom. But I'm a little dude. I'm underneath the bed crying. And, you know, when I and and saying under the bed, I'm going to do something. Well, I had so forgotten it. It wasn't even until the act journey that it showed up. I mean, I knew there was domestic violence in my home. I knew that. But I just didn't know how deep the wound went. And when I found it, it was like, oh, of course I'm a psychologist. Oh, of course I'm interested in helping people who are suffering. Because, you know, these early traumatic things are there in many, many, many people's lives. My point being, there's a precious gift that's offered. The, the anxiety I was feeling linked me over to the gift of my own history. And yeah, I'm feeling nervous. Uh, you know, my first panic attack happened when I was in a department meeting with, as I say in the TEDx uh, talk, watching uh, full professors fight in a way that only wild animals and full professors are capable of. And the reason it was so anxiety-provoking for me, I didn't find out until years later. It was reminding me of hiding under the bed and hearing my dad shout at my mother and threaten her with violence. And so knowing that, It makes sense of why I'm working so hard to help people with trauma and anxiety and depression. Because I couldn't do that at eight years old with my parents, but I can do it now. And so inside your pain are the things you most care about. Think about it. The things that you are moved emotionally in a, quote, negative way. Pick anything. Now flip it over. What does that suggest you care about deeply? If you're terrified of intimacy, I bet you you've been through betrayals. And inside the betrayal is yearning for loyalty and trust and intimacy. Isn't it? That's why I cut you through the, through the heart. And the same thing, go over and over again. If you're really anxious around people, I bet you you really care about being with people if you're really struggling with depression i bet you you really would like to feel again in a way that's whole and free not be like a, a metaphor of a divot in the road depressed you know squeezed down like life squeezed out of you just go through the list and so acceptance is from the original latin root meaning to receive as if to receive a gift septarian in latin and it's still in english and uh we we're not interested in wallowing i have like zero interest in rolling around in your pain for no point but showing up to the whole of your history so that you can be empowered to be all of what you could be that's awesome and being able to use your history to help you be an ally even the painful parts that's wonderful you can learn to do that and you will be more effective in every area of your life that's what the data shows so Stop running away, plant your feet, show up, open your eyes, learn the skills to do that without being overwhelmed or wallowing, and now focus on what you really want to create in your life and get about the do
0: therapy part of uh, act. What are you going to do with that? No, I really like that idea of accepting and looking, and it means like accepting those emotions you have f- for what they are. The completely like the the negative and the pot, like and trying to find the positive, yeah, underlying positive because that that goes to a, a part of act is this, you know finding out what you value, which will yeah. allow you to this is the final step to take action to do something about what you value. So those negative emotions can help you find out what you really value in life, so that you can take action on those positive affirming values.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it turns out, by the way, if you run away from negative emotions, pretty soon you start running away from positive emotions. I didn't know that when we started the act work, but we found that. And how pathetic is that? You know, in the in the name of feeling good, you can't feel at all. So let's do a good job of feeling. Let's feel good. And then move our attention towards what we really want to have as qualities of what we do. How do you want to be as a whole person in this world? And there's four ways into that. You can take pain and flip it over, what I just talked about. You can think of the really sweet moments in a given area, your work, your relationships, anything that's of importance to you. The really sweet ones, unpack them. You're going to find the qualities that you want in your life. Think of your guides and heroes. We've all got guides and heroes. Why why are they heroic? Why do we hold them up? because something about the way they are is shows the kind of values we want to put in our behavior and finally is authorship if you're just writing a story how would you write this what's the next chapter going to be about not at the level of who's going to show up what the details are that's not in your control you might have a disease right now you're not going to find out till you just go to the doctor you may have a plane fly into your garage in the next moment that can happen but what is the arc of this story about? Are you writing a tragedy? Is that really what you're up to? Or you want to write a hero's journey? That's, it turns out that's really in your control. So those are the four ways in. And when you do find that, then now you've got a beacon. Now you've got a lighthouse out in the distance. And when you're lost, you can raise your eyes and see it. You know, if you're about being a more loving and compassionate person, what are you going to have to do in the next moment to do that? If you're about really kind of contributing to the well-being of others, what are you going to do? If you want to be successful and your mind says that's all money, what are you going to do with that money? You know, and what we found is if people don't do that, they start taking their goals, the concrete things they can achieve to be their values. And the pathetic thing that happens is that even when they meet their goals, it feels empty. It doesn't really scratch the itch. You know, you see it with money, you know, almost all of us, you know, would like to be more successful financially. But if we forget why we want to do that, what are we going to do that's pro-social, that's in our hearts, that's, you know, of importance? We just end up thinking that if we have enough dough that we'll no longer have self-doubts or people will love us or whatever, it predicts misery. That research has been done. Happiness becomes inversely inversely related to financial success if you do that. I mean, what a joke. It's pathetic. I mean, you got miserable billionaires. So how about if we focus on what brings meaning and purpose by choice, by who we are, and get in front of that person in the mirror, use those four methods of pain or sweet moments, heroes or guides or the kind of story you're writing, and dig down. And you make some choices. What's it going to be? What you up to with the life moments you got? Now work on putting that into your behavior. That's an engine for success, not just from the outside but from the inside. And that's why it applies everywhere. It's why it applies to sports or business or you know dieting or exercise or stepping up to the challenge of physical disease or yes, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, trauma, and all of those because these core skills are just life skills.
0: They're success skills. They're creating a life worth living skills. No, I love this. I mean, so I think, I mean, I I think this is a great big picture overview of ACT and there's a lot more details that you go into the book and then your other work. But I mean, I think something that'd be useful to end our discussion here is kind of give some like very broad examples of this working through, let's say like an anxiety problem that someone's struggling with. And then also I'd love to see like how this would work out with someone who's trying to enhance their performance on the job at work in their leadership position. So let's start with like, a someone who's dealing with like anxiety. They're, they're stressed about social, they have social anxiety, for example. So let's start with like that, that diffuse. Like, so if they're experiencing that emotion, you start off with diffuse, you diffuse that emotion first, correct?
1: well we're going to do, diffusion is especially good for thoughts because we're we're taking we're dialing down the literal meaning part so that we can notice that we're creating thoughts in our minds in real time that's the core of diffusion to look at your thoughts not just look at the world structured by your thoughts and missing that you're doing that that it's your thinking that's doing that some of which is automatic you don't completely control it so we start off to spin around uh, the six processes, show up in consciousness, catch that person behind your eyes, focus over there and notice that you're thinking, and own that. You're having thoughts. Cool. Are your thoughts your enemy? No. But do it with a little sense, like you're looking at your hand with that's you know 18 inches out from your face, not your hand up on your face. You, know, you don't let those thoughts get up on you because then you can't see anything else. It'd be just like putting your hands over your eyes. That diffusion moves it out. You still see the thought. You still know what it means. But just like if I took that you know, stupid, stupid or idiot, idiot at the Stanford, okay, now I can see that I'm thinking. Then use that skill to open up to your emotions, your memories, et cetera, and see if you can kind of taste them, kind of sense them, and take in the gift that they offer. And then when you've done that, notice that, You can allocate attention in a flexible, fluid, and voluntary way. You just did it. You can carry it over into what's in the present moment around you, within you and without. What's of importance here? What should be focused on? What should be shifted to focus on something else? Do you need to broaden your view, narrow your view, and then come over to what you really want to be about, meaning and purpose, and now what would it take to create habits around that? Those are the six things. So with the social anxiety, let's say, catch that the person, you're a whole person who's witnessing this. Notice that you've got chatter about how you may be inadequate, people may not not like you, blah, 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 blah. But also there's thoughts in there about how you would really like to do things socially. It's not all negative thoughts. Notice that you're thinking, notice that it produces some reactions anxiety, things in your body. Great. Notice that, but try to notice it with equanimity. Open up to it. Be like a table with things put on it rather than trying to get up there and you know move everything around on the table. Just be the table, hold everything on it, and now come into the present moment. What's of importance here? And one of the things you'll find is that witnessing, observing part of yourself now in the present moment can go behind the eyes of other people. If you're socially anxious, I would take the time to notice you got a conscious human being around you, maybe several, and they may be doing the same thing you are. They may also be worried about: are they going to be, you know, uh, liked? Worried about your opinion of them, and you're so in your head that you're not even noticing you got other living, breathing, conscious creatures around you called human beings. So. Take a little time to take this witnessing, noticing part of you, and put it high behind the eyes of others, and get the sense of who you're with, and what that affords—the connection that's possible. Now, what do you value here? What are you trying to create? You're just trying to impress. You're just trying to like—you know—you have a, a bullet list of how great and grand you are. Really, that—that's what you're up to. How about listening, connecting, relating? loving liking supporting how about compassion how about can could you do something other than be a performer on a stage cuz you actually come into conscious connection with the person who's here with you that's like the social anxiety anti drug <laughs> because when you do that now we're putting that anxiety to kind of reach out and touch the consciousness of another and now what do you want to do with that connection based on your values what are you going to do are you going to ask the person to do something with you are you going to create something together are you going to be together are you going to meet again are you going to do something what do you want to do and so that arc will walk you right out of social anxiety and will take the anxiety that you feel with others into being able to do things that are values based with others in which your own history now doesn't mock you, but becomes kind of a, a goad for the kind of person that you want to be, your best self, which is not the self-aggrandizing clown suit, nor the, you know, Paul pathetic, you know, help me, I'm so weak and helpless. It's this owning your history, showing up, connecting with others, and doing things that bring meaning and purpose into your life and others, and the joy of creating uh, a life worth living is right there in that spin around these six flexibility processes, you know, and all, there's lots of books and lots of things for free. We've, we, you know, you can just Google acceptance and commitment therapy and find vast amounts of things, YouTube things and, you know, things for free. You don't even have to pay anything. And, um, you know, I have written a book recently called liberated mind you mentioned it at the beginning, i have another one a self-help book that beat harry potter for one glorious week in 2006 (laughs) when it was written up in time called get out of your mind and into your life and those may be kind of entering into the world of act there's uh, hundreds of books now literally millions in print mostly not by me uh, because there's a vast worldwide community that's trying to put these processes into people Now you did ask what? What about workouts?
0: Yeah, work could be workouts or like work. I mean, this isn't. As you said, yeah, this isn't just for managing mental illness. This is. This can be used to. Well, you know, like
1: the just take leadership for example at work. There's pretty good evidence that transformational leaders, people who can take the perspective of workers, who take the time to see the world through their eyes, who are open to what they're feeling and thinking include, which means you have to be open to the reactions that you have in the world of thought and emotion. And that can create at work a values-based community that's about something bigger than ourselves. That's not just about me, 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 it's about we, and that, that can, you know, use our behavioral skills in a way that create environments that are flexible and allow people at work to do creative things to best pursue the values that are there inside the business. You know, there are good randomized trials, you know, the controlled studies showing that bringing act into leadership training produces more effective leaders with more successful businesses. And so this spin around that I was talking about with social anxiety could apply to leadership. It could apply to your relationships. It could apply to your workout routine. It can apply anywhere that the human mind goes because your mind is not always your ally. It can tell you to do things that are self-aggrandizing, disconnecting, fearful, limiting, you know, mindless. And if you don't learn how to put your mind on a leash and then use your your skills to build a more flexible, cognitively, emotionally, attentionally, behaviorally flexible way of moving towards your values, you know, you're interfered with. And uh, I was, before the COVID thing, I had the great joy of uh, going and spending time with a major league uh, ball club. Uh, I think I can say the name Toronto Blue Jays where the performance coaches and sports psychologists are all act all the time. Uh, you know people won gold medals uh, at the olympics doing it you know that this is not yeah it's for depression and anxiety but these skills are life skills uh, learn them and uh, see if they don't help uh, whatever it is that you're up to and um, it's not a panacea but it's the 20 percent that does the 70 or 80 percent and uh, they're learnable and they're learnable for, fortunately from books and apps and so forth therapy can help and when you have you what know, the data show is lots of horizons become more
0: reachable well Stephen Hayes thanks much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure it's been awesome Brett thank you for having me on my guest today was Stephen Hayes he's the author of the book A Liberated Mind it's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere you can find out more information about his work and acceptance commitment therapy at his website stephenchayes.com also check out our show notes at aom.is slash a liberated mind where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives, as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years about pretty much anything you could think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad free episodes of the A1 podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to StitcherPremium.com, sign up, use code manliness at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS, and you can start enjoying ad free episodes of the A1 podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with with a friend or family member who you would think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay. Reminding all not only to listen to the A-Win podcast, but put what you've heard into action.